So we're going to start off the teaching. And before I even start the teaching, I, I want to say God is good. And you should be able to um, fill in the next part in your comments. And we encourage you to comment, to be part of this message, to be engaged, because we're here all together, okay? So God is good, and I'm imagining you're commenting all the time. I'm not going to tune into uh, the Facebook account or the YouTube, but I can see it. I can see that all the time. And if I say all the time, then you're going to comment, God is good. Today we're kicking off a new series called Why? And we're going to be wrestling. We're going to be wrestling with specific questions that people have talked about and they've pretty much debated, you could say, um, over generations. And today we're diving into one of them. And the question is, why does bad things happen to good people? And that's probably a question that you have asked someone else, or maybe you turn to God yourself and you ask God, or maybe it's something that you've been thinking about or something on your heart, but without question, all of us in one moment of our lives, we have heard that question before. So we'll be diving into that today as we go through this teaching. So I want to let you know when I was in school, when I was in elementary school, one of my favorite things was show and tell. And I, I could imagine a lot of you watching love show and tell too. So today during the teaching, I have two items that I have for show and tell. The first item I'm going to show you now. And then the last one I'm going to show you at the end of my teaching. But before I show you that item, I do want to let you know that Jen and I, while we've been home, uh, quarantined at home, whenever we have any spare moments, we try to go to the backyard, try to see what we could do to with our flowers or anything, any gardening that we are able to do just because it needs that attention in the back as well. And it helps us just to take a little break and spend some time together. So Jen wanted to plant a rose bush. So we were so excited. We planted that rose bush on the ground. We put everything around it. And we really like, we were excited just to know that one day we're gonna have this beautiful rose bush filled with roses so that we would be able to walk by, we would be able to smell them, cut the um, um, some of the stems, give them to family members or whatever it is, but we were excited about the rose bush. And I have something to show you real quick. This is the rose bush that Jen and I planted in our backyard, okay? And I know probably what you're thinking. Um, how come it's not in the backyard at this moment? That's a very good question, and I'm happy that you're asking, and we're having some type of dialogue here. Uh, this is the rose bush, and obviously it doesn't look that well or healthy. And this is what it looked like in the beginning, just to give you an idea. I'm going to show you a picture of the rose bush, the way it came. So the picture should be there just for like two seconds so you get an idea. So here, this is what it looks like now. And the reason why I'm holding it, and it's not in the ground, because this little, poor little rose bush, oh, look at this, the leaves, they look so sad, it's so depressed. This poor little rose bush didn't have a chance to put their roots deep into the ground so it could be strong, to withstand whatever circumstances, storms, problems, situations, or 
dogs that might come their way. So let me tell you what happened to this uh, rose bush. Um, let me put the picture of the problem that happened to it. It's the picture of Willow right now. Willow, our youngest dog, the picture I chose is a picture of him having a branch in his mouth because he loves to go outside, get whatever branch he could find and bring it inside the house. So there he's sitting there in my living room and I took a picture of him and it looks like he's like, has like this big cigar in his mouth or something like this big, uh, pretty much branch. And he does that all the time. So when Jen and I decided to put this rose bush in the ground, Willow thought it was a new branch he could play with and he could run and grab. So Willow literally put his mouth around it and pulled it out and ran around the backyard with it and destroyed it pretty much. We replanted it after we took it out of Willow's mouth and he did it a second time, a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time. And now it's over for this rosebush, in my opinion. We tried our best, but Willow decided to put it to an end. So there you see the rosebush. Jen, don't worry. I know Jen is watching this from home. I'm going to get you another rosebush, okay? Don't worry. And we'll figure something out to protect it from Willow, okay? So I want, I want to start off by reading something very important. Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, it says this. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So right here in Colossians, we clearly say that just like that pretty much rose bush that I was holding, that had to get its roots deep into the ground to be able to withstand and have any chance against the pretty much the storms, the situations, the willows, or the shadows that might come along the way to try to cause any problem, its roots had to go deep into the ground. And here in this passage, it tells us, it tells you that both of us, all of us, we need to make sure that our roots are going deep into the ground. And I want to ask you, how deep are your roots in God? Because the deeper the roots, the more you're able to withstand the difficult moments, the challenging moments, the circumstances that could rock each of our lives. For, for us, we need to realize that all of us go through hard situations. We go through problems. We go through tragedies. No one is exempt from it. No one at all. And I know in moments that we go through these um, time periods, we might turn around and try to question God and question others, it's like, why? Like, why are we going through these difficult things? And I wanna let you know, if you've ever thought or questioned God, you're not the only one. And if anything, you're in good company. I know I have, but more importantly, I wanna to read to you from here. Abraham in the Bible says this, should not the judge of the world judge fairly? So here he's questioning and saying, should not the judge of the world judge fairly? Uh, Moses also said, God, why don't you treat your people as they deserve? Why don't you treat your people how they deserve? 
Jeremiah said um, also in the Bible, why do the wicked prosper? It's not fair that bad people are getting rich and the good people aren't. And David in the Bible, over and over again in the book of Psalms, he says things like this, God, where are you? Why don't you deliver me, God? And I don't know, you've, you've probably said the same thing, turn towards heaven and say, God, where are you? Why don't you deliver me? And something else that David says is, why don't you seem fair? Why don't you seem fair? And if we're keeping this real today and we're just talking to one another, I know that everyone in this world at one point or another, we probably felt this way maybe ask these questions audibly, or maybe you kept it in your heart, not understanding fully. You see, we could all relate to these questions. Now, these are questions from God's children, pretty much being said to Father God. Now, I have actually a couple questions for all of you that are watching, that are parents, thinking about your children, let's say, And even if you're not a parent, I want you to put yourself in those shoes and try to think of how you would answer. I have eight quick questions for you. The first one is this. Do you give your children everything that they want? Do you give your children everything that they want? Yes or no? You could comment. If some of you put yes, I don't know. We got to pray for you. We got to pray for you, okay? You're spoiling your kids. Okay, ready? Number two, have your children done bad things at times, but you love them anyway? Bad things or maybe even evil things, but you love them anyway. Have, have you? I want to give you an example. I'm not going to mention who it is, but it's someone that I'm actually quarantined with, okay? I'll give you a little clue, okay? This person, when she was three years old, this was a long time ago, and her baby brother was born, she wasn't happy that there was someone else competing with her attention and love from her parents. So she ended up going and getting a garbage bag bringing it to her mom and saying, hey, he goes in there. He's ugly and very red. So I'm not going to tell you who it is. Um, it's someone that I love dearly and is quarantined right now with me. But all of a sudden, she pretty much just didn't want to see her baby brother anymore. And it's funny because we hear a lot of those stories from many people when it comes to siblings being born. That's a bad thing and borderline very evil, if not evil. But do we love our kids anyway? Number three, do your kids understand everything you're trying to accomplish in their lives? Do they understand what you're trying to accomplish in their lives? You could answer that. Number four, have you ever had a child question you and throw a tantrum And we're going to spice this up a little bit more. In the middle of stop and shop in the aisle, okay? Because they didn't like a decision that you made. Question you and throw a tantrum. Has that ever happened to any of the parents watching? Number five, have you ever looked at your child and simply said, trust me? Have you ever looked at your child and simply said, trust me? Number Number six, it says this, have you ever said no to your child because what they wanted would hurt them? 
No, that slingshot is not a good toy option in Toys R Us. Well, Toys R Us is not available anymore. But um, it's not uh, an option for you. All of us, probably we've been in a situation where we said no to a toy, something that could hurt them, but yet they didn't understand because they really wanted it. Number seven, do you ever allow some type of suffering to occur for a greater purpose as a parent? Do you ever allow some type of suffering to occur for a greater purpose? Maybe you have your child go on timeout. Maybe you decide to take them away from their um, tablet or taking, take them away from their video games. I know when I was little, I wish my parents would put me on timeout or take away the video games or take away a tablet. There was no tablets back then. You know, back then it was a chancleta. You know what I mean? Like the chancleta would come out. And I'll never forget for the rest of my life that for fifth grade, we went on a trip. We went to the wild, wild west. Some of us here, you probably went to the wild, wild west too. And I don't know, I don't know, uh, like I, I might start even crying at this moment sharing this. I don't know why in the world I decided to buy a whip in the wild, wild west, okay? So I ended up buying a whip because I thought it was a cool toy. So I brought it home and then my mom pretty much said, this is great for me to have. So she held on to it and she always threatened it with me. It's like, look, if you misbehave, you know what I mean? Like you might get some type of suffering from it. But without question, all of us in one way or another, we might have endured some type of suffering, but it was for a greater purpose and reason behind it. And the last question I have for you is this. Would your kids consider you being good parents? Would your kids, in the midst of everything I said, consider you being good parents? I know pretty much all of us we do our very best, you know, for all the parents that are here, you do your very best to be a good parent to your children. And in the midst of all that, sometimes they might not realize like your intentions of, and, and pretty much the big picture of the way you see things, but they might sometimes misinterpret it. But you know that your heart is to bless them, to do good, to help them, to be able to guide them, point them in the right direction. They might not fully understand everything, but you're there with them walking side by side. You know, in Matthew chapter seven, verses nine through 11 here, God, Jesus is pretty much highlighting Father God and comparing him to the parenting skills, you could say, of pretty much parents in this world. And he says this, starting at verse nine, you parents, if your children ask you for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. Uh, of course not. So if you sinful people, all of us, we're all sinful. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? So here, pretty much God's saying, I know all of you, you're trying to be good, being good parents. But let me tell you something. I am a good father. I'm a good and great heavenly father that loves you, cares about you, and is there for you in so many different ways. 
But so many times we don't understand it. And so many times we might question it. And so many times we might not see God's hands, but God is always, always working. We should never, never doubt that he's a good God and he's a great God. We should never doubt that. We might not understand everything he does, which we don't, but we should never doubt who he is, his character and his love for each of us. So here, something we'll never understand is all of his ways and thoughts. In Isaiah 55, verses eight through nine, it says this, for my thoughts, uh, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So here God is pretty much saying, hey, you'll never be able to understand me fully. You won't. Like while you're living on this earth, you won't understand me fully. My ways are higher than your ways, uh, than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. It's the same way you as a parent You know, the way you think and your thoughts is at a different level compared to your three-year-old, your five-year-old, your 10-year-old, even your 15-year-old, 20-year-old. If you've lived this life longer, the way you see things and the wisdom that you gain, it's completely, you're at a different level. So imagine God. God sees things completely different from you and I. And that's why we have to trust him. God is sovereign. I'm going to give you a definition of, of, of what I mean with him being sovereign is this. There is absolutely nothing that happens in the universe that's outside of God's influence or authority. Nothing that happens out in the universe that's outside of God's influence and authority. God is sitting on the throne and he's God. No matter what's happening in this world, no matter our questions, our doubts, our frustrations, our anger, our sadness, our depression, our joy, our happiness, whatever is happening, God is still God. Nothing could change that. Just because the circumstances around us might change doesn't change who God is. And our trust is in his character and who he is. And each of us, we have that same decision to make. In Colossians chapter 1 through 16, I mean, chapter 1, verse 16, just to show you his sovereignty, it says this, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. So all things hold together in him. In Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 11, these passages that I'm about to read are so powerful. And it shows you pretty much how God is sovereign. It says this, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there's no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come? I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. 
So here in this passage, you see that God is God. And it's amazing because you get to have a relationship with this God. You, have a, you could have a relationship with God and grow in that relationship and let your roots go deep into him. And as you grow in that relationship with him and you know who he is, even when life doesn't make sense, you're able to withstand the storms. You're able to withstand the circumstances, the problems, the issues, whatever might be coming your way. You'll be able to stay strong and stay in the ground. Not even the spiritual willows that might run around the backyards of your life trying to uproot you from God will be able to do that just because you would have that relationship with God. And you know what? There's a lot of comfort in knowing because God is sovereign, we also know this. In Romans 8, 28, it says this. And we know that God causes everything, everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now I want to highlight something in this verse. Like so many times I hear people say, you know what? God causes all things to work together for good, which is true, but you ended the verse a little bit too early. Um, Here in the verse, Paul is being very specific. This isn't for everybody. Obviously God is going to get his plans and his purposes done no matter what. But when it comes to this verse and this promise, it's for those who love God, For those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So here, if you're here and you're watching and you're a child of God and you you love God and you know you're called by him and you're living to fulfill his purpose, God has this promise that no matter what happens to you in your life, no matter what tragedy, no matter what storm, no matter what curveball might happen, it might have probably rocked you a little bit. God says that he's going to work all things together for good. Everything, no matter what it is, he's going to work it out for good. And I know right now some of you might be sitting there or laying down on your couch wondering, it's like, how could he work that out for good? Let me tell you, in all of our lives, there's things that have happened that in the middle of that situation, it didn't make sense. And sometimes years later, it still didn't make sense, but you see God's hand and his fingerprints being there in the journey. Because God never said that we wouldn't go through hard times in our lives, but he said he's gonna walk that journey with you every single step of the way. He's not gonna let you be abandoned and orphaned and left by yourself so that you wouldn't be able to walk through life. He's walking with you. At this very moment, he's walking with you. He's whispering to you. He's talking to you. He's drawing you closer to him. But so many times we resist. So many times we push away. So many times we put up the walls. So many times we want to hold pretty much our circumstances and have control and try to do things our own way. When God looks at us and says, why don't you just surrender it to me? Why don't you just trust me? Like one of the questions I said about the parents to their kids, turning to them, have you ever said, just trust me? God is looking at you at this very moment and telling each of us and speaking to our hearts, trust me. I know things don't make sense. And I know there's so many things happening, but I'm still in control and I'm still sovereign. God is whispering to each and every single one of us. 
So we need to realize as we continue this, like why do bad things happen to good people? I do want to highlight something. That question in itself is flawed. That's a flawed question. And I'm going to tell you why. The first one is this. What are actual bad things that happen to us? Because for you and for me or for anyone else that might be watching, what something is bad could be very different. And just to give you an example, what you thought was bad when you were five years old was completely different than when you were 10, maybe when you were 15, when, maybe when you were 30, maybe when you're now that you're 60 or 70 years old, the things that you consider bad are different from when you were younger. So for all of us, what bad is, is very different. And I just want to even give you this example, Joseph from the Bible he was betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, abandoned, falsely accused, placed in a prison, and forgotten. Okay? I think that's pretty bad, right? In most of our categories of bad. But this is what Joseph said in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says this to his brothers, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So here, pretty much Joseph said, you know what? You intended to harm me. And many people could have seen these things as bad things. But you know what? I trust God and God intended it for good. And he worked all things out. And he put me in this place right now so that I could save many, many lives. We could even look at Jesus. Everything Jesus went through, we just went through Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. All those moments, those bad moments that he encountered pretty much was a journey he was on to be able to save many lives, all of our lives as we surrender to him and trust him by him dying on the cross and resurrecting on Sunday. So here, and let me give you another verse. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. It says this. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Let me pause there real quick. The Apostle Paul says when you run into a problem and when you run into a trial, a very difficult situation for you to rejoice. How many amens am I seeing on that thread on Facebook or on YouTube? I don't think I see too many amens right now. It's like you, and it's not just be happy. I'm talking about rejoicing. You know, you're throwing a party in your soul because all of a sudden you're in a problem or you're in a situation, in a trial, in circumstances that are challenging you. All of a sudden he's like, you know what? In your soul, heart, and mind, you got to throw a party. And rejoice. And then he continues. It says this, for we know that they can help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strength, uh, strengthens our confident ho hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. It's not going to lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us. This is the confidence that Paul has that no matter what problem, trial or circumstance he's going to face, he's going to rejoice about it because he knows he has a God that dearly loves him because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So for all of us, no matter what we're going through, 
Our circumstances don't define God's love for us. God's love for us is constant and nothing could ever get in its way. And God's love and his presence fills our hearts. Yes, in the world and everything going around us, we can't make sense of what's happening. But we have peace in our hearts and we rejoice in our hearts that in the midst of the trouble, God is there in the middle of the storm in our lives. So let's continue. I know we were talking about how this question is flawed. I focused on the bad things and just the perspective of Joseph and also the apostle Paul. But the other question, um, we say, why do bad things happen to good people? Who are the good people? Who are the good people? It's funny because in our eyes, we compare ourselves to other people and we like, oh, we're good because we don't do that. And all of a sudden you just put other people in categories. But who are the good people? Everybody, all of humanity, everyone that's ever lived, and even us right now, it's almost like we're on the spiritual Titanic. It's like, yeah, some people might appear to have it more together than others. And you might think you're good in the upper deck, laying down in, you know, like those little uh, chairs, lawn chairs, I don't even know, sunbathing chairs, whatever. You might have a little pina colada in your hand and you think you're all good. And then the bad people, you could say, maybe on the lower deck, you might um, put them in a different category. But in the spiritual Titanic, that boat is sinking. And it definitely sunk. Because all of us, we've all have sinned. Whether you sinned once or you sinned a billion times, we're all in that spiritual Titanic that sunk and someone had to come and rescue us and it was Jesus. So for us to say, why do good, um, bad things happen to good people? It's a flawed question because there's really none of us are good. We're all evil in God's eyes because the only good that's within you or me is God within us. Whatever God has done within our hearts that God gets the credit for, is the only good we could say that we have. But besides that, we're all sinful. We've all fallen short. We all need Jesus. We all need forgiveness. We all need his grace. We all need his mercy. We all need his deliverance. We all need his rescue. We all need his deliverance. We all need it. So that question is definitely flawed. What's interesting too is that whenever we ask that question, we always tend to look outwardly and we don't look within our own hearts. You know, why do bad things happen to good people? Like, you know, you're looking outwardly, but you don't look into your own heart when it comes to the sin that we might have. So I have a question for you. Because number one, it says, have you ever thought, it's like, um, what should we do to those that do evil and bad things? Like, you know, for those that are evil and bad, all of a sudden you might think it's like they deserve punishment. They deserve like, you know, to burn in hell. Like I've heard people say, like, you know what I mean? Like they deserve the worst of the worst. But yet all of us, every single one of us, we have evil pretty much within our lives because of sin. And we need God to rescue us. So I have a question for you. Have you ever done anything bad? Have you ever done anything evil? Have you stolen anything? Have you lusted? Have you lied? Have you dishonored your parents? Have you been jealous? Have you coveted other things? You know, the list could go on and on. So that's why the question is flawed because 
really, when it comes to bad things, there's different definitions to it. But when it comes to good people, none of us are good. The only one that's good is God within us. So let me tell you this. Bad things and evil, uh, and evil. where does it come from? And let me tell you, pretty much, there's three main sources, you could say. The first one is sin. We know when Adam and Eve sinned, pretty much death came into the picture. Suffering came into the picture. Sickness came into the picture. Pretty much when sin came into the world, it brought all of that with it. So all of a sudden, we know sin pretty much put into cycle like a domino effect affecting generations to come. That's why even with us, we're impacted by the sin that's occurred even back then from Adam and Eve. Like pretty much a domino effect, we're all affected by death, suffering, and sickness. These are consequences of being disobedient even back then at the very beginning. What's another source is our actions, bad things and evil. Pretty much when I say our actions, it's first I want to highlight your own actions. So many times I might be talking to someone and they might be complaining about bad things that have happened to their life. They're like, oh, this, this is happening and this is happening and this is happening. And the more I talk to the person, I realize that all that stuff that's happening in their life, it's really because of their own decisions. It's their own decisions that created the mess that they were in. So many times we create the mess that we sit in. And then we blame God. It's like, God, where are you? God, how come you haven't delivered us? God, how come you haven't done this or that? But yet our own decisions, our own pretty much actions, pretty much caused the mess that we're living in. But we're quick to blame other people instead of taking ownership and saying, you know what? It's true. I've made wrong decisions. And because I did those things, it caused all these other circumstances in my life to happen. And the other thing, it's not just our actions, it's other people's actions. It's other people that do evil to one another. Pretty much people murdering one another, people, people stealing from one another, people um, doing harm to one another, abusing one another. It's pretty much our actions and the actions of others as well. And lastly, it's the enemy, Satan. Satan is real. I mean, in your mind, you might try to put, um, think that, you know, that the enemy is not real. Satan is real. Throughout scripture, from the beginning to the end, pretty much he's highlighted in one way or another. And we know that evil's real also because of him. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says this, it says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is Jesus speaking, okay? So if you're right now, if you're watching and you don't believe the devil is real, but you believe in Jesus, uh, that doesn't kind of make sense because this is Jesus saying this himself, that the devil's real. And he says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy doesn't care about you, doesn't care about me, doesn't care about anyone. He wants to destroy and pretty much bring destruction in any way that he can. But then what's beautiful with this verse is that Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So here we know that in the midst of everything that we might be encountering, there might be bad or evil things, but we have a great God, a good God that's always at work. 
And something that we need to trust God for is that there's always a greater reason behind things. We will understand it. One day when we're standing before God face to face, maybe we will. But right now there's moments we won't understand it, but there's greater reason. God is always at work behind the scenes. If we ever think that God's not at work, we've been blinded by the enemy because God is always, always doing something, always influencing things and behind the scenes. So I'm gonna give you two examples real quick. Many of us know the story of Lazarus so Lazarus, Jesus's friend, who Jesus ended up weeping when he was by the tomb with him, all of a sudden we know that he, Jesus got the notice, he got the message that Martha Mary sent him that Lazarus was sick and Jesus knew he was going to die. So what did Jesus do at that moment? You would think that Jesus would run as fast as he can to go all the way to see Lazarus and to be with them because not only because he wants to heal Lazarus, but because he was his friend. Because he was his friend, but Jesus did something completely different. He decided to stay where he was at for two more days. For two more days, Jesus stayed where he was at and didn't act on going where he was asked to go to help his friend. That doesn't make any sense, any sense. Like to any of us um, pretty much reading the story, for us, we know the whole story. We read it now and we're good with it. But think about it. Jesus getting the news and deciding to stay for two more days and not going to help his own friend doesn't make any type of sense. And even when he ended up making it back, pretty much they looked at him and said, if you would have been here, he wouldn't be dead. And I know for all of us, when we encounter difficult moments, we might turn to God and say, you know what? If you would have been here, things would have been different. If you would have shown up, if you would have displayed your power, or if you would have done something, things would have been different. And I know we, that if, we've said before. And sometimes God does answer in power and displays his greatness. And sometimes God chooses not to. And we don't understand why one way or another, but we trust God's goodness and we trust that there's a greater reason behind it. In John chapter 11, verse four, it says this, when he heard this, when pretty much he heard the news, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So right there, you see, there's a greater reason. There's a greater purpose. He's like, I know it doesn't make sense to any of you of how come I'm not showing up or running to the scene, but there's a greater reason and purpose my children don't understand. Some of us, we might shout and scream, or some of us might even throw tantrums towards me, but I want them to trust me that I love them, I care about them, and there's a greater purpose even in the unknown. In John chapter nine, verses one through three, it says this. Here, as they went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, 
that he was born blind. So all of a sudden his um, disciples were already putting that blind man in the category that he's sinful or his parents are sinful. It's like, you know, there's a reason why he's blind. And then he says, Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, um, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So that the works of God could be displayed in him. A greater reason, a greater purpose. And for us, I know there's moments it doesn't make sense, but we need to realize the reason why there's a greater reason and a greater purpose is because with God, there's a greater picture. Life is so much more than just a few years that we live on this earth. We're eternal beings that live forever. And this is a verse I read on Easter, but I also want to even read it um, now too. Pretty much it says this. It says in John chapter 14, verses one through three, it says this. Jesus speaking to his disciples after sharing with them all the bad things that are gonna happen, okay? All the bad things are gonna happen. He says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God I um, believe also in me. So taking a pause there, you would think that Jesus would rescue them, say, hey, don't worry, all the bad things I told you, let's change the script. I'm not gonna go on the cross anymore. I'm not gonna die anymore. Let's stay, let's stay comfortable. Let's just celebrate that we get to live a few years here on this earth together. Let me, let me do what you want, which is to uh, pretty much turn over Rome now, Jesus didn't say that to them because you know what? Jesus doesn't give us what we want. He gives us what we need. And then that's the same thing as a parent. As a parent, if you're watching this, you don't give everything your kids want. You give your kids what they need. And God is the same way. So God is looking at his disciples. Um, Jesus is looking at his disciples here and he's telling them, don't be troubled. Don't worry. You know, don't let this overwhelm you. And then all of a sudden he says this, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, why would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. So all of a sudden, in the middle of everything that's happening, knowing that the cross is before them, knowing that all this drama is happening, all the chaos, death is in the scene, all uncertainty, God says, you know what? You don't know the big picture. You don't know the greater reason. You don't know the greater purpose there's a bigger picture that you just don't see because you're not God. And from my vantage point, it's very different. I know you're worried about what's gonna happen this weekend, but I'm looking at what's gonna happen in all eternity. You wanna stay with me for this time period, but I'm gonna make a way so you can stay with me forever, for all eternity. I'm not gonna give you disciples what you want, I'm gonna give you what you need. You need me to die on that cross so that I could pay the penalty for your sins so that we could be reunited in a relationship forever. So that's the big picture. We don't see that. That vantage point, we don't see that. 
Our eyes are just fixed on every day, like snapshot pictures, Polaroid shots, when God sees the panoramic view of our lives and everything. And when things don't make sense and you don't see the rest of the panoramic picture, that's when you just surrender it to God and say, God, I'm going to trust you. In John chapter 16, verse 33, it says this. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me, you can have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So right here, Jesus says straight out, you're going to have trouble in this world. If whoever told you that just because you give your life to Jesus, you're not going to have problems. You're not going to have tragedies. You're not going to have issues. They've completely lied to you. Okay, just because you give your life to Jesus, you don't walk through life in a bubble. You know, we live through this life and we're human, pretty much going through this. And God is walking this journey with us. And he tells us you're going to have trouble. But he says, be of good cheer. He says, take heart. I have overcome the world. So think about this. He's telling this to the disciples. I have overcome the world. And the disciples like, you haven't overcome nothing. It's like the Romans are still in charge. It's like, you know, this doesn't make sense. You've overcome the world. It's like Jesus is looking at them saying, you just don't see the big picture. It's like on Sunday, when I resurrect from the grave, I have overcome the world. I came to give you what you need, not what you want. Pretty much I'm going to be king of kings and I'm going to reign forevermore as king of kings. And all of a sudden, it's like, Jesus like, you know what? You could celebrate in the midst of your pain. You can. You can, How the apostle Paul said, you could rejoice in the midst of your pain because I have overcome the world. And you don't understand everything, but you got to trust your dad. You got to trust your dad. And you have an amazing dad. You have an amazing dad that sees every detail of your life. There's nothing that happens to you that he doesn't see, that he's not in the pretty much around, pretty much in the perimeter and in the midst of. There's nothing, nothing that happens to you that doesn't go through his hand first. And even though we don't understand why, we know that we have a good God that we need to trust and we need to surrender to him everything. You know, I told you in the beginning I told you in the beginning that I had two items to share with you and I'm going to share with you the second one. This is an old phone that I had. Um, I know some of you might be laughing and making fun of me, but it's a little flip phone. I used to love this phone. This phone was actually really cool. And this phone actually brings back a lot of memories even to me, even at this moment. I actually haven't even looked at it or picked it up since this morning when I went into my closet to find it, to bring it for this teaching. But one of the last moments I had this phone was when I was sitting pretty much on the curb of Trinitas, pretty much walking out of the emergency room, seeing my dad for the last time. And Many of you know that my dad died pretty much unexpectedly. Uh, I was at a youth retreat doing God's work, ministering to the kids, doing what I absolutely love to do. And I was there doing God's work. You would think 
that bad things can't happen when you're doing God's work. And I'm there, and in the midst of playing with the kids, I get a phone call, and I open my phone, and it's my sister pretty much just telling me, it's like, Carlos, you have to come home. I said, Je- uh, I said, Josh, <laughs> sometimes, uh, Rosie, I said, Rosie, Rosie and Jen, they're laughing right now at this moment. Um, I said, uh, I said, Rosie, I was like, I can't come home right now. I'm in the middle of the youth retreat. I have about 200 kids that I'm responsible for. What's going on? And then Rosie said, if you don't come home now, you'll never see your dad alive again. And I remember looking at the phone, almost in shock that I'm listening to this. And I said, all right, I'll be there right now. And we go, we end up coming all the way to the hospital. I made it to the hospital, but pretty much I just got to see my dad on a ventilator. I was able to whisper to him that I love him. During that time period, I removed his wedding band when I knew that his moments were done afterwards. And I placed his ring on my finger. That's why so many people notice I have two wedding bands. I don't have two wives. There's one for Jen and one for my dad, his wedding band. And I remember that night having so many questions. I really did. I had so many questions. Um, And I remember sitting on the curb of Trinitas right there all by myself at that moment. And I was talking to God and I questioned God. I'm like, God, why? 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 Why, why did he have to die? Why did it happen to happen even now during this weekend? Why, like, you know, why didn't you like even answer my prayer? Because I prayed and let me tell you, I had, I had the faith at that moment, definitely at least of a mustard seed that God was able to raise him from that ventilator, but it didn't happen. And I remember sitting on the curb and just, writing on the screen on my phone. I just put, I love you, Poppy, on it. But when I wrote that, I remember that I was talking to God and say, God, I don't understand what's happening. And I just surrender everything to you. I trust you. Even though it doesn't make sense, I trust you. You're a great God. I know who you are, God. And I know that the circumstances don't make sense, but I know you're a good God and I trust you. And I remember I wrote, I love you, Poppy. And I just whispered to God. I was like, God, just make sure he gets that message. Make sure that he knows that I love him and I miss him. And I, but in the midst of that, I just surrendered him to God. And I didn't stop chasing after God. I didn't stop following after God. If anything, I pursued him even more because I knew life was hard and I needed God more than ever before. So we need to change the question why to really who. Instead of looking to God and asking why, look to who you're looking at to, who you're looking at, because you need to look at God himself for who he is. I'm going to read to you in Job chapter 38. I'm just going to highlight a couple key verses. For those of you that might know the story in Job, Job lost his family. He lost livestock. He, loved, he lost his possessions. He lost his servants. He lost so many different things. And then in the midst of that, him questioning God, you know, you would think that God would respond and answer him, but God didn't answer him. 
God just reminded Job on who he is. God reminded Job of his sovereignty. God reminded Job of his goodness. God reminded Job that he's in control. God reminded Job that even though things don't make sense, that he is still God. And I'm just gonna highlight to you a couple of my favorite verses and then um, so you could understand what I'm saying. And in the beginning, what I love, it says this, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. God spoke to Job out of the storm. God was in the middle of the storm. So whatever storm you might be going through right now, this moment, God is in the middle of the storm, is able to speak to you and encourage you and walk you through everything. He didn't bring the storm. You know, he's not the one that causes evil, but he leverages everything around the world to be able to get his purposes accomplished so that the greater reason behind it could be fulfilled. And it says this, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm and he said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Then God says to Job, have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you and say, here we are? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God? and wander about for lack of food? Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings towards the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? It's four chapters of verse after verse, God reminding Job who he is. And for some of us, we should read those chapters. It's from Job 38 to 41. So we can know that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. If you could bow your heads, let's close this time in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for everybody that's watching this live and for everyone that's gonna watch this afterwards as well. God, may they realize that you know them inside out. You knit them together in their mother's womb. You know every circumstance. You know every situation that they've been going through in their life. The good, the bad, the ugly, the tragedies, the things that don't make any sense. Right now, this moment in this world, there's so many people suffering. There's so many people that have died. There's loved ones that have died and we haven't been able to properly mourn for them. There's people, God, that are sick and we're not able to be close to them. God, there's so much loneliness, so much depression, so much sadness, God. There's so much death happening at this moment, God. But in the midst of everything, we say that you are good and you're good all the time, God. Even today, you're good. You're good all the time because of who you are. We might not have the answer of the why, but we know the who. We know who you are, God. And we know you're an amazing God that loves us, that cares about us, that walks through us in our lives in the middle of our pain. God, remind us that there's a bigger picture. Remind us that this isn't the end of the story. Remind us that we haven't even seen almost anything of the story, God. 
that there's so much more to happen, God, and remind us that there's a greater reason behind everything. We trust in your sovereignty. And as we trust in your sovereignty, our hearts rejoice because your Holy Spirit fills our hearts. And we're going to ask you now to fill it with your peace and your perfect love that casts out all fear. God, we won't walk by fear, but we're children that look up to dad and choose to trust. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. God bless you. Love you. We're praying for you.